0: Hey, good morning. Good morning. It's hour two of Mornings with Carmen on this Wednesday, the 15th of February, 2023. And I ran out of time at the end of the last hour to actually read the quote by Jalen Hurts, quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles, in answer to a question um, prior to the Super Bowl on Sunday. He was asked in an interview um, on the prior Thursday, he was asked, uh, What are you going to ask God for on Sunday? And Jalen Hurts gave such a great answer. And I just want us all to consider how we would, you know, well, what, what did you pray for on Sunday? Maybe it's a good question as well. <clears throat> um, and uh, how might you have answered a question related to that, um, you know, prior to the game? Here was Jalen Hurts' answer to the question. I usually keep my prayers to myself, but I say, God knows. I really lean on him. I try to keep him in the center of everything that I do, because I know without God, I wouldn't be where I am today. I wouldn't be the man I am today without having that faith in him, without having integrity and leadership and diligence and all of those things. But I think the biggest thing is you get so influenced by so much around you, you just want to pray that you're the person that God calls you to be. So that's what I'm going to do. Be who God is called me to be. That is uh, Jalen Hurts, our brother in Christ, also the quarterback, quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles. And though they lost the Super Bowl, man, that is a winning answer to the question about how you're going to pray um, to be used by God. Uh, win or lose, win or lose. Um, authorities uh, in Michigan um, continue to say that they have no explanation for why a gunman opened fire on Michigan State University campus um, Monday night, killing three students, severely wounding five more, um, spreading what is described as terror uh, across the community. Um, The police have said that the gunman, whom um, they have identified as a 43-year-old man, had no apparent um, connection to the university, um, and he's uh, been, you know, charged Um, with felony murder, I want to just lift up a particularly disturbing response by one um, statement released by a member of Congress. This is a House majority whip from House District 24. Um, And I'm not going to say his name either. But um, on his official statement, On his official statement, um, or linking to his official statement as he posted it on Twitter, um, he says, F you, asterisk, asterisk, your thoughts and prayers. And um, what does it say about a person, an individual, and what does it say about where we have uh, arrived in in our cultural moment that someone would say something so profane um so hostile to people of faith um and that they would do so on social media uh, attached to their official statement um regarding a shooting um in their district so um my uh my prayers go up for and out to everyone in relationship to this. And I just think that, you know, in terms of where we are in this cultural moment, saying that we're praying for someone does not automatically result in them having a positive posture uh, toward us. And I think we have to be mindful of that. Um, I certainly do not um, just say oh, I'm praying for you. I mean, I actually stop and pray with people as um, challenging and awkward as that might be for others. It's not awkward for me. My life is a constant conversation with God um, and sometimes with closed eyes and a bowed head, but I gotta tell you, it's happening all the time. And so I have you in my thoughts and prayers right now, even as I'm discussing the headline news of the day. Um. And I hope you have me in your thoughts and prayers um, as I'm doing what I do and as you're doing what you do and as we labor together to advance God's kingdom purposes in this generation. Um, and then let's pray for the people who openly mock and defile the name of God Um I don't count this person as an enemy, but I definitely recognize the enemy, big capital E, when I see it in public. And uh, that's what's going on here and I don't want us to miss it. All right, Bill English is going to join us next. Um, We're going to talk about the financial crisis in America. I mean, like we as a country are like, we're on the brink financially. Um, Maybe you feel personally like you're on a financial brink or your family feels on the financial brink. Well, we, the people are on a financial brink and we got to we got to start talking about it in a really sober way so that's up next you're on mornings with Carmen Bill English is back. You can find him at com. Bill, good morning.
1: Good morning. How are you today?
0: Oh, well, it's well with my soul. God's mercies are new every morning, and His faithfulness is great. So, yeah, I'm uh Isn't I'm God's
1: sovereignty wonderful? The fact Amen. that amidst all the chaos, we can, just, we can rest in the fact that God is sovereign. He is in control. He has our lives. He has us in His hand whatever suffering we do endure is is that is he's there to support us and when we pass from this world we enter a brand new place uh without sin and without disease and without problems and we have the presence of Jesus with us and uh that's that's really what we hang on to as Christians isn't it
0: yeah uh well absolutely and look forward to like genuinely oh, yeah. look forward to um yeah So, yes, thank you for that reminder as we turn our attention to the fact that um, as a country, we're on the financial brink. Um, All right. So, um, yeah, let's talk about um, Social Security, right? SSI, I think of the Social Security Administration. I think about Social Security benefits. What we're talking about here, SSI, Supplemental Security Income. What is the SSI program? What does it provide? Who's getting money? Like, help us understand where we are um, and then tell us just how bad it is. (laughs) Social
1: Security started in the 30s under President Roosevelt when there were six workers for every retiree. uh, And uh, they set the uh, retirement age at 65 when the average life expectancy, I think, was around 63 or 64. And so for those who got past the averages, They started getting a small check from the federal government, and it was funded by a tax on the younger workers. Uh, Today, instead of six workers for every retiree, we have less than two. I think it's 1.8 or 1.9 workers for every retiree. And we didn't move the uh, retirement age from 65 up to where it probably should be today, which is mid to late 70s. Uh, before the program would kick in. We've also added a lot of benefits to it. So Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, those three things combined account uh, for about 70% of the total cash outlays of the federal government. Very popular program. Uh, I've concluded, even since I sent you and Paul that uh, that email last week, I, I have concluded that uh, we just need to fundamentally restructure how we do retirement in this country, because the model based on younger workers paying for older retirees and there being a five to one or a six to one ratio, that model is not sustainable for us because we don't have the number of younger workers and our country. If if, if you were to look at population demographics, our country is just not having that many more babies anymore. Uh, we, We just aren't, we just don't produce, um, We're having plenty of sex, but because of birth control, uh, we're not having a lot of babies. And that means that we're not going to have the younger workers available to support the older folks who are on retirement age. And the older folks who are on retirement age are living a lot longer than anybody had anticipated. Uh, So this is a model that doesn't work in my estimation. And we just need to fundamentally restructure how we do retirement in this country.
0: Okay. I have learned some things um, just of late in terms of um, just how many people in America actually receive supplemental security income. It's not just um, retired people. And so when we come back, Bill's going to help us understand who else gets these SSI um, benefits. Um, And again, we're talking about some massive numbers here. It's uh, uh, the numbers are impossible to continue to ignore. We've been ignoring them for a while, but we can't continue to ignore them. And so how are we going to care for people? That's going to be ultimately the question here. How are we going to care for people, young and old, um, the disabled among us as well? How are we going to care for people when Social Security um, changes? I mean, as if it doesn't change, it's going to collapse. So that would be catastrophically bad. Um, and so let's work in advance of that happening to come up with some fresh ideas. That's up next
2: here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks so much for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Hey, I'm Susie Larson. Hey, if you enjoy what you're listening to here, would you consider subscribing to other great faith radio podcasts like mine? Search Suzy Larson Live at MyFaithRadio.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hit subscribe and have a great day. <laughs>
0: Continuing our conversation with Bill English from bibleandbusiness.com and a note to my producer, Paul, that Zip Whip, our text line, has kicked me out and won't let me back in. So um, if you could fire me off the password, that would be great. Um, Bill. (laughs) Uh, well, yes. I mean, I've I've used the one I thought I had, and it's not working, so there you go. It's not working. Um, it's not working, and I like to be able to read what people are texting in. So um, Social Security benefits pay for um, a lot of people other than those who are over, you know, 65 and actually worked and paid into the system. So I didn't know that if you reach retirement age and you paid into the system that your minor children um then start getting social security benefits like so as people wait longer and longer to have kids then suddenly we have more kids getting social security benefits just because their parents are over 65 like the there are some crazy parts to this
1: yeah there are you know if if you're disabled you're you're probably going to qualify for something if you are lacking in basic needs like clothing, food, shelter, transportation, you're probably going to uh, qualify for something. If your parent died, say, when when they were 40 years of age, the children are going to get Social Security payments to help the family. Um, until they turn 18. Until they turn 18, right. And so there's... Uh, there's a number of ways that they have expanded this. It's probably more complicated than what we have time to do in a spot like this. Uh, but social security is a is a big, big program. I do not believe it is an effective program. I think it's effective in certain. Uh, limited situations, but overall, I, I just don't find it to be that effective of a of a program. And look, the the program uh, what what they're saying is that if the program isn't redone by 2023, then all the benefits across the program are going to be cut by I want to say 24 percent, and that's because there just won't be enough money in in the program and. Look, as, as a guy who turns around companies, who takes companies who are failing and makes them profitable, again, there's only two ways to turn this program around uh, in spite of its flaws. Number one is to cut benefits. Number two is to raise taxes. In other words, more income, less expenses. Uh, that's just a, a basic economic law here. And so you're, what you're going to see them doing is cutting the benefits for the younger population uh, and they're going to have to raise the retirement age from 67. They're probably going to have to index it to 70 or maybe even into the low 70s, like 72, 73. And there, there's already talk about increasing the 12.5%, roughly 12.5% uh, total tax for Social Security, maybe up to 13.5%, 14 maybe even 15%. And, and they're going to have to do that in order to make the program uh, financially sustainable.
0: Fewer people receiving benefits is certainly an option. Is there any way to move some people off of benefits? I mean, I I realize it's really hard to say to somebody who's been receiving benefits, you know, for some long period of time, hey, we can't keep doing this. But, I mean, even when I hear particular members of of the Congress say the people in my state are dependent on Social Security benefits – They're not just talking there about people 65 and over and they're not talking about people who are disabled and they're not talking about i mean, like I'm just like or the definition of disabled is now so broad. Like, I at some point, like we're talking about millions and millions of people who are receiving Social Security benefits. And I'm not saying I want to be the czar of who qualifies, but we I do feel like we got to have a conversation about who qualifies and why.
1: One in three people in America today receive a check, a monthly check from the government, from the federal government. I don't know if you knew that or not. And uh, who qualify? Look, the government is slowly encroaching into the area of just being God. Hey, we're going to provide everything for you. Whatever pain you have, we're going to ameliorate. Whatever problems you have, we're going to solve. Whatever needs you lack, we're going to supply. And there, there, there comes a point where the federal government cannot be God. And and I think sometimes we try. Look, if it was me, I would tell everybody under the age of 40, there is no Social Security. You better start uh, saving for your own. And I would I would bite the bullet and say, we're going to have to continue to borrow to take care of those who are already on the program and who are over maybe 40 or 45. And, but over a, a 40 or 60-year period, we need to phase it out. That's what I would do. Uh, and I know there's a lot of people probably yelling at their radios right now, uh, but at the same time like I said, the program is unsustainable in its model. We can fix it fiscally for maybe another twenty or thirty years, but eventually the whole thing's going to implode, and when it does, economic laws are going to dictate what we can do um, not not legislators. and so i'd rather I'd rather be proactive and just rethink how we do uh, retirement now what well, you that that gives us choices right it gives us choices uh but if we wait for this thing to implode we won't have choices
0: yeah um all right i'm back on the text line i can see those of you texting in um yes thank you so much um uh yeah and then of uh i do see the question here about the united states um you know propping up others outside of the united states with large sums of money um leading quote our people to have to suffer um yeah, we probably yeah, give well we give away both here in the United States and globally more money than we have. Like we continue to indebt ourselves. Uh it, I mean which is also another fiscal concern. I, yeah, I'm, more ca-
1: more cash is going out the door Carmen, than what's coming in. And there's not a family or a business or a nonprofit in America who can continue to do that indefinitely. And not go bankrupt. Now, governments don't go bankrupt because nobody repossesses their um, uh, assets. But what they, what does happen is that their currencies become devalued and the political and social unrest creates a huge vacuum for somebody else to come in and take over. So governments, do governments go bankrupt? No. But can governments be taken over because of fiscal issues? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh.
0: Yeah. And hyperinflation um, yeah, tends yeah. to be a part of that conversation and nobody wants that either. So, um, all right. Well, right. I had on our list today also that we have a healthcare system on the brink. I have on uh, my list today, the the concerns about kids getting lunch and kids getting, uh, you know, the bus rides to school and, um, and on and on and on. But we don't have time to talk all about that. So we're going to have to talk about some of those things the next time.
1: All right. Sounds good.
0: <sighs> Hang Just in there, Carmen. Breath. I know. God right? is sovereign.
1: Right? God is he sovereign. Is. He has <laughs> promised to meet our needs. Philippians, I think it's four eight, and uh, you know we we uh, trust in a sovereign Lord who sets up kings and deposes them, and who provides for our needs and who loves us more than we love ourselves and more than we love our kids, and uh, we're on the winning side on this. So.
0: Amen, amen, amen. <gasps> That's Bill English. You can find him at bibleandbusiness.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. We're going to talk in just a moment with Barb Raveling about saying goodbye to emotional eating. But I wanted to share with you quickly um, what one guy who lost 100 pounds um, a number of years ago uh, by by a drug um, that shut off his appetite. Um, He recently posted a reflection in Wired, which, you know, I don't think of as like a Christian outlet. But the things that he said um, about himself and his experience um, are relevant to this conversation. So this is Paul Ford writing in Wired. Um, I have been the living embodiment of the deadly sin of gluttony, judged as greedy and weak since I was 10 years old. And now the sin is washed away, baptism by injection. But I have no more virtue than I did a few months ago. I just prefer broccoli to gloopy chicken. Is this who I am? How long is it before there's an injection for your appetites, your vices? Uh, Maybe they're not as visible as mine. So would you self-administer a weekly anti-avarice shot? Can Big Pharma cure your sloth, lust, wrath, envy, pride? Is this how humanity fixes climate change? By injecting harmony instead of hoping for it at Davos? When I let the domain name for my diet blog expire, I accepted that there was no technology that could change my biological responses to um, my sati, my you know the way I satiate myself, which I don't know how to pronounce that as a yeah. Um, now there is, and the part of me that tracked every meal, searched for solutions in apps and programs, wrote code, and took notes is obsolete was that time wasted. The reason I lift this up is because each one of us has a relationship with food, and many of us have a broken relationship with food. And um, it's one thing for a doctor or big pharma to say, hey, we can actually solve that problem for you. It's another thing for you and I to spend time with the Lord and together work our way through some renewing exercises that would help us break free from the control that food has over our lives. That is, say goodbye to emotional eating, and Barb Ravelling joins us next to talk about it. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. Barb Raveling is joining us. Uh, Among many things, she is the author of Say Goodbye to Emotional Eating, a hundred renewing exercises to help you break free from the control of food. You can find Barb and lots of really great resources at Barb Raveling. Raveling is like traveling without the T. BarbRaveling.com. Barb, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks, I'm happy to be here. Okay, is it even possible to... I mean, for people who have not lived in bondage to emotional eating, they're not even going to like you're welcome to the conversation. We know you don't understand us. But for those of us (laughs) who live in this world like there, I guarantee you, there's people right now who are saying, is it even possible? Can you is it even possible to live free of the control that food has over my life?
2: I think it is definitely possible to live free of the control. I still think if you're a person who struggles with emotional eating, it'll never completely go away because I, I feel like I've been free for, uh, I think it's like, I can't remember how many years now, 10 or 15, um, but I still struggle. I still emotional eat every once in a while. It's just that I've given up the yo-yo dieting. I haven't, you know, gained my weight back. So it, it can be manageable to where it was a 10 on a scale, one to 10 before, and now it's a two. So I appreciate that honesty
0: because I think that in much the same way that people who struggle with um, addictions of other varieties, like, recognize that there's a vigilance that's necessary, you do find coping mechanisms, you find strategies, you develop new patterns, you um, develop new positive cravings, um, but it doesn't mean that you could ever, like, stop paying attention to the fact that this is the area of my life where the enemy prowls around looking for a way in and I have to guard against that.
2: That's exactly right and you know when hard things come in our lives we all go to whatever our coping techniques are and so food is our coping technique and you have new trials in life throughout your life you're still going to be tempted to eat too much you know overeat. (laughs)
0: Or the wrong things, <laughs> at the wrong time, in the wrong measure, right? I mean, that's all <laughs> right. part of this. That's Talk with right. us. Um, take us into um, Take us into the book, Say Goodbye to Emotional Eating, um, 100 Renewing Exercises. I mean, let's just be honest. If I would do five exercises every day, my body would respond to that. So 100 Renewing Exercises sounds like a really great thing. What kind of exercises are we talking about?
2: Well, they're exercises that change the way we think, because when we're talking about weight or eating, usually we're we're thinking about boundaries, controlling what we eat, you know, which plan should I go on? Which diet should I go on? But with that, we're just trying to control our actions. And Mm. most of us that struggle with this, we don't have self control in that area. So it's hard to control our actions when everything in us wants to eat. So it's far more effective to work on changing the way you think about it, So that you actually want to, you know, eat within your boundaries. So the exercises in the book, each of those exercises is a way to change the way you think so that in that moment when everything in you wants to eat like crazy, you're able to eat with control. And you don't even have to do five a day. (laughs) I mean, if you do three a day, that's going to be great. And I think it would totally change your behavior.
0: All right. Let's give everybody an example of, of one of these renewing exercises that you offer in Say Goodbye to Emotional Eating.
2: Okay, well, I don't have the the book in front of me, but I have some oh. scripture med. Yeah, I, I have scripture Perfect. meditations in there. I have uh, truth journaling exercises. So with that, I'll have a list of five lies, and then with each of those lies, you write down the truth, and then as you write out the truth, you're going to see your desires changing. And I also have some like option charts. So all kinds of different kind of fun things. I have a whole list in the table of contents. You can kind of read through that list and say, okay, what's going on in my life that's making me want to ease? Because there's goodies in the house or because I'm anxious or because I feel like I'll, I'll never get over this. So you look down that list and pick one of those exercises that applies to your moment. And then you just open up the book and you write right in the book. So it just makes it really easy to develop a renewing of the mind habit.
0: Yeah, I mean some of this is like having a truth journal. Um some of this is um uh having accountability with others. Um and so when you're um when you're thinking to yourself about how you might engage differently with the reality of your own emotional eating. And if you're an emotional eater, you already know it. Like I I know that I'm talking to you right now and you're saying to yourself I've I've struggled with this. I have been in a cycle of yo-yoing um you know for a long time. I actually know I'm in bondage to this and I don't know. I don't I need someone to walk with me um down a new path. I need to find a new way forward um to develop a positive relationship with food. That is what this book does. Barb's going to walk with you in Say Goodbye to Emotional Eating, 100 Renewing Exercises to Help You Break Free from the Control of Food. Again, barbraveling.com is the website. Um, Barb, uh, talk with us a little bit about your own, um, your own experience over the course of time and some of the things that have proven very effective in your own experience.
2: Well, I started emotional eating when I was in high school, and I kept it up till I was oh, like in my forties, early forties. So that was it was about twenty five to thirty years of emotional eating. And basically, whatever I do, when life was good, I'd be you know thin, and when life was bad, I'd be overweight because I'd just be eating like crazy. I would binge, I would stuff myself. I'd wake up in the morning with regret. And I thought it was the one thing in my life I thought, you know, I am never, ever going to get over this. So then I I learned about what it looks like to renew your mind on a practical level and how powerful and life-changing that is. And I I started in another area of my life first, and that was with um, some relationship issues in my marriage. And it worked so effectively, I thought, I think this could work for food. So I started doing it with food, and uh, I can't believe how life-changing it was.
0: Yeah. Talk talk with us um, also about um, like some of the other complementary practices in your own life. So, you know, you recognize that there are things that are stressors for you. And so um, you actively avoid those stressors at times when you know um, those would trigger emotional eating. I'm thinking here about your practice of not watching the news in the morning.
2: Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, things like that, not watching the news, I'm trying to think of what else I mean, you can't really avoid all the stressors in life is, is the sad thing. So mm-hmm. sometimes if I know, at least back in the past, I don't have to renew my mind about food anymore. But in the past, I would renew my mind before I was going into an event, I knew it'd be stressful. So some of the people I talk to, uh, they'll renew their mind throughout the day, even you know, And then they'll think, okay, what's going to come up today that's going to tempt me? And then they'll renew ahead of time. But like with, if there's good food in the house, I still have my husband hide chocolate, peanut butter, granola uh, if I have it in the house because I, I know I'm going to eat it. So there's some of those practical things you can do too.
0: <laughs> I just appreciate that. And it's just, it's so honest and it's a refreshing approach. Um, and you journey with us in it. And I find that um, particularly lovely as well. Um, I like the resources that you provide on your website and the way you invite um, people to do this in community with each other. Again, the book is Say Goodbye to Emotional Eating, 100 Renewing Exercises to Help You Break Free from the Control of Food. Barb Raveling is our conversation partner today. You can find her and lots of resources related to this, downloadable great stuff at barbraveling.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit myfaithradio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. American fast food, what a stupid way to die. We're talking with Barb Raveling. The book is Say Goodbye to Emotional Eating, A hundred Renewing Exercises to Help You Break Free from the Control of Food so it'd be a great book to do in community with um with other believers and there's resources for that at barbraveling.com. um barb i'm thinking maybe we spend a little time in um in section 4 of the book um because i feel like there are a lot of things happening in um in this section of the book um that if we're honest um and we're carrying extra weight these are things we deal with all the time So I'm just going to read, read some of them and and have you reflect on, um, on one you choose when I feel like other people are judging me for my weight or my mind says, well, if only I were thin or when I don't feel beautiful, um, or when I fear rejection, um, if I, if I gain weight or I don't maintain, you know, what I perceive to be like the appropriate weight for my age and stage of life, I don't know, um, I'll never be skinny enough for, and it could be this person, this event, this dress, whatever. Um, and then just this this whole feeling of like feeling like you're in a weight loss failure cycle. It's not just that you feel like a weight loss failure once. It's that you're just in this cycle where you feel like a weight loss failure. You want to speak to any of those?
2: Sure. Um, you know, back when I was struggling with my weight and yo-yo dieting, I'd have something come up in the future that I need to go to. So like, you know, a wedding or an event or something, I felt like had to be skinny. And so I'd, you know, go on a diet, I'd try to lose weight. But the problem was, I was an emotional eater. So even though I was trying to lose weight, and I break my diet, I would eat in despair, because I thought I'm never gonna be skinny for that event. So I'd end up Gaining more weight before the event, the less. And I had to realize the truth that, you know what, it's okay how I look. And most people aren't judging me for being overweight. Yes, there's a percentage of people that judge you, but then we have to say, do we really want to cater to that idea that women have to be skinny and women have to look good because that's objectifying women? So we have to, on the one level, we have to learn to be content with our body as is and to see ourselves as more than a body. You know, we're not just who we are as we look. We have different personalities. We have different strengths, different giftings. We like to do different things. We want to see ourselves as a whole person. And so when we get to that point, that will get rid of a lot of those late night eating sessions because a lot of the late night eating sessions are kind of in despair because we broke our boundaries during the day and we think we'll never be skinny. But if we don't worry about having to be perfectly skinny, we won't eat that much. And then I guess the cycle too, that I'll never get over this. I would never have believed I I would get over it if I hadn't seen God work through the renewing of mind in the other area of my life because it's the control of food is so strong. It's such a big stronghold. It's really hard to, to break free from. So we actually have to renew our mind about that too. So when we eat too much, when we pick out, have a late night binge, we're believing lies like I'll never get over this. I might as well just give up. So we have to write the truth to those lies too, to break free.
0: I appreciate the way that you liken this to, um, to our relationships as well. I mean, one of the things that you you shared with us is that this really grows out of um, thinking about applying what we know from relational um, bondage and freedom and applying it to food. Um, Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I I think that, like, if I'm trying to end um, an emotional affair, right, with a person, uh, there would be some, clear help for me in terms of, you know, pastoral counsel and the accountability of others and scriptures to apply. And and what you've essentially done is taken all of that and said, hey, all of that applies to food, with which I have a bad emotional relationship.
2: Yeah, that's so interesting that you bring that up, because my first book was a Bible study, Freedom from Emotional Eating. And I begin that Bible study with a story of an affair. Uh, and then, I applied it to that. that is how we are with food. We kind of have an affair with food. But, you know, if somebody was going to have an emotional affair, whatever, what they have to realize is that that person that they think is so fun and exciting is going to be really bad for them and it's going to destroy their lives and a whole lot of things that are important to them. And the same way with food, we think it's super fun, exciting, but when we binge and we eat too much, it destroys our life. And, and not only destroys our life, you know, physically and mentally because we're depressed about it and obsessed with getting over it, but it also keeps us from growing because instead of going to God for help with life, we're going to food for help with life. And that kind of keeps us stuck in our, you know, our, our bad faults because we're not going to him to, for help with it or our trials. We're not going to him for comfort.
0: Okay. I bet there are people listening right now who are like, I would love to read that Bible study. Um, can you tell us what that first Bible
2: study was? Uh, That first Bible study was Freedom from Emotional Eating. And I wrote that back in 2008. And that's when I was probably only a year or so out of breaking free from the control of food myself. And it's the first time I started writing and I didn't realize that I ate to procrastinate. So as I was writing that Bible study, I thought, oh no, I'm going to gain my weight back. That's going to be so embarrassing. But I've gone all those years without gaining it back. So it the, the principles work. You change the way you think about food and it's a, you can lose weight and keep it off if you do that.
0: OK, it's interesting that you point to that, because one of the things that you address in this book is like the reality of having to deal with the fear or the question or the lie that it matters to us out here, um, whether or not this works for you. Like, do you feel like you have to be the exemplar of all that you've written? And if um, for some reason you were to gain back some weight, like, you know, suddenly you wouldn't be able to speak on this. And and I just have to say to you, you don't have to live with that question. Like, I we're not judging you that way.
2: <laughs> yeah. And, you know, <laughs> I kind of learned that when I was renewing the mind. I get, well, maybe I didn't learn it, but I guess I stopped worrying about it. And the other thing was, what I realized is I lost the weight through the renewing of the mind. And if I ever gain it back, I'll just go back to renewing my mind all the time. So in the past, mm-hmm. I never had confidence I could lose it because I could never make myself you know, follow a diet. But now I have confidence because all I need to do is start renewing my mind about you know, life and food several times a day. And all of a sudden, I won't be breaking my boundaries anymore. So that's really what made me stop worrying about gaining it back again.
0: Yeah, it's just so good. I mean, part of this, friends, is just getting to the place where you say, you know what, I'm ready and I'm willing and I will submit to the renewing of my mind and I will actively engage and participate in it. And then um, find uh, ways to develop healthy boundaries for yourself um, and then how to hold yourself accountable to those boundaries. And some of that might be um, journaling. A truth journal uh, is one of the um, things that barb teaches us to do in this book again the book is say goodbye to emotional eating 100 renewing exercises to help you break free from the control of food Um, you can find barb lots of bible studies and lots of other resources at barbraveling.com and again raveling is like traveling without the t barbraveling.com barb thank you so much for joining us today
2: thank you carmen it was great to be here
0: yeah likewise You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio.
1: All
0: right, what is the price of eggs where you are? Yeah, I mean, you know price of eggs in China, not as important to me as price of eggs, um, you know, right here in America. So what um, what's the price of eggs where you are? And why why are eggs so expensive? Like, what is going on? That's actually um, uh, one of the lead stories on the Chiron at CNN today. Um, and so you say to yourself, wow, um, eggs have uh, have made the five most important things to talk about today list. Yep. Um they have um and that's because it's it's actually the home economics that that matter to most of us. Like what is going on at home. 70%. That's how much egg prices have risen over the past year. That's according to inflation data released by the Bureau of Labor and Statistics yesterday on Tuesday. And if you've been wondering why, um it's because of the like rolling or cascading effects of bird flu, avian flu, which wreaked havoc um, on the egg market. And, you know, it takes a while after you have um, destroyed all of the affected birds. It it takes a while to get a bird, uh, raise a bird from a hatchling to the place where she can lay an egg and then lay an egg every day. Yeah, I, I know this because I have chickens. And not every chicken lays an egg every day, even when they're full grown, like stress affects them. Um, food affects them. The weather affects them. I don't know. They're, they're, they're emotional creatures. Um, and so uh, as food costs have gone up and transportation costs have gone up for egg producers um, and they have had to replace their entire um, production line in terms of their layers, their hens. Like that's driven up the cost of eggs everywhere. Um, now, I will also say some people are increasing their profits in the midst of that, right? Um, so that's um, that's going on across the board. Hey, um, I just want to say all that because I just recognize that for most of us, it's the price of eggs that um, is just right at the forefront of our thoughts today. Um, And so I want you to know that I see you and I hear you and I appreciate you and I'm praying for you. I know you're praying for me as well. Um, Let's be encouraging one another today. And you know, I don't know if you got an extra dozen, share it with somebody that uh, that needs a few. Have a great day. God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.